News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Yeah, welcome indeed. I'm Alec Hogg, and today is the 12th of July, Blue Monday for South Africa. Chaos reigned in many parts of the country, specifically in KwaZulu-Natal, and we have got lots on that for you today. What does it mean? Why is it happening? What should we be doing about it? And indeed, what's it like on the front lines of the chaotic uh, occurrences that we're seeing? We will be talking to Donovan Carter, who is a businessman in Moy River, who faced down a mob today. Uh, he didn't, he won't tell you that, but it was quite an extreme situation that is happening in the rural area of KwaZulu-Natal. David Shapiro will weigh in with his wisdom on the subject. We'll also be hearing from Connie Mulder on a subject that is very close to many hearts in South Africa, including our own. Connie is head of the Research Institute at Solidarity Trade Union. And they clearly, because of much fake news that has been going around, have been requested or asked by their members whether they should get vaccinated or not. Instead of blithely following what government is telling us, and indeed Connie makes the point that we're in a low-trust position at the moment, particularly as far as government is concerned, and you might recall that in the Edelman's Trust Survey, South Africa's government comes stone last in the world, something like 10% trust levels. Uh, in it. So that is one issue. But he decided then to go and look at the vaccine vaccinated nations around the world and came to some pretty strong conclusions on whether or not we should be having vaccines. Uh, spoiler alert, yes, we should and do it now. We'll also be hearing from Treasury One on the impact of all the chaos that's been going on today uh, on the exchange rate, and that's Andre Salia. However, first up, uh, depressing or not, we'll be talking news and markets. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. Let's start off with the news first, and here's my Biz News colleague, Nadia Swart. Protests triggered by last week's jailing of former South African President Jacob Zuma have claimed six lives, seen scores of businesses looted and weakened the currency, with the police struggling to contain escalating violence. The riots began in Zuma's home base of KwaZulu-Natal province and spread to the nation's economic hub of Gauteng over the weekend, disrupting commerce and transport networks. Authorities arrested more than 200 people and worked to disperse hundreds of protesters who targeted stores across the two regions, the police said in a statement. The South African National Defence Force is being deployed in both regions to curb the unrest. The World Bank has sent a warning to South Africa saying the country can bolster hiring by temporarily extending tax incentives, suspending rules that increase labour costs and introducing measures to support entrepreneurship and self-employment. While other reforms, including tackling electricity supply constraints, remain pivotal, time-bound emergency measures to support poorer workers and create jobs are needed as the economy recovers from the devastation wrought by the coronavirus pandemic, the Washington-based lender said in its South Africa economic update. Africa's most industrialized economy contracted the most in a century last year and lost 1.4 million jobs. ESCOM has urged the public to reduce electricity usage as the South African Weather Service forecasts extremely cold weather this week. The utility released a statement saying that the cold front will increase the demand for electricity, thereby putting pressure on the power system, and the utility has promised to communicate promptly should there be any significant changes to the performance of South Africa's grid. Thanks, Nadia. Let's pick up on the markets now with uh, Biz News' Justin Rowe-Roberts. Justin? The JSE All Share Index is up at 66,700. In the currency markets, the rand is weakened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 42 cents of the dollar, 20 rand and 5 cents to the pound, and 17 rand 11 cents to the euro. Gold is flat at $1,800 an ounce, 
A Kruger Rand will cost you around 27,500 Rand. Brent crude is lower at $74.90 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 480,000 Rand. The NASPERS process share swap has been approved by shareholders. The transaction, which was far from plain sailing, was essentially a foregone conclusion given the complex holding structure between the two holding companies. The transaction goes ahead despite 36 South African asset managers forming a collaborative engagement against the transaction, which was sent to the NASPERS and process boards in early June. NASPERS and process are both in the green on the JSE today. On the JSC, financials, retailers, and industrial commodity counters are the laggards, whilst gold shares are on the rise as traders around the world try to get their heads around the impact of the Delta variant to reopening of global trade. Short-term insurers on the local bars are mixed today, despite the severe looting and vandalization happening across KZN and Gauteng in protest against ex-president Jacob Zuma's conviction. Well, it's interesting that both of you have been saying it's all to do with Zuma. The feedback we're getting from the ground is it's all to do with criminality. Uh, but Zuma being a very interesting and useful excuse. But I, I guess also unemployment, when you've got 70% youth unemployment, what do you expect the youngsters to do, hey, Nadia? Yeah, well, I mean, what Carter said, it was boredom, which is actually quite scary. Yeah, boredom. We'll, uh, we'll, you will enjoy that interview uh, with Donovan Carter, which uh, we conducted earlier today. In fact, uh, he said that you might pay, uh, remember this, Nadia. He said that I have just seen them 15 minutes ago come and burn down the Kentucky Fried Chicken opposite yeah, just, where, I, mm. where I'm standing, um, where his business is, and pull out all of the furniture uh, from the Kentucky Fried Chicken. You wonder what... Mm. It, possesses people like that. But anyway, we've got lots of that coming up in the program. Stay with us. This market report was made just for you by Bright Rock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And now it's time for the international news from the Financial Times of London, looking at the Delta variant, something that affects us a great deal here in South Africa, and we'll have more on that in the program coming up. And unicorns, a record year for the billion-dollar new companies. Today is Monday, July 12th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Economists are worried the Delta coronavirus variant could derail Europe's economic recovery. And there were a record number of unicorns born last quarter. And no, we're not talking about the mythical creatures. We'll tell you more about that. Plus, we'll hear from a European lawmaker who wants EU tech regulation to target American companies. But he claims he isn't being anti-American. We hope for sure that soon we will also have European companies in that size, and then these rules will also apply to them. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. Europe has lifted most pandemic lockdown measures in recent months, and there's been a surge in business activity and retail spending. Most economists have upgraded their growth forecasts, but... Now there's worry that the spread of the Delta coronavirus variant, plus the new lockdowns and travel restrictions, could undermine this recovery. The Delta variant is extremely infectious, and it already accounts for most new cases in a lot of European countries. It's driving infection rates up to their highest level in months. Just last week, Germany and France warned citizens against traveling to Spain, which is a huge blow to that country's tourism industry right at the start of the crucial summer season. Also last week, the Netherlands said it would reintroduce restrictions because of a big rise in the country's daily infection rate. On the flip side, some economists say most infections have been among younger people who are less likely to fall seriously ill. And hospitalizations and deaths from the virus remain very low. European lawmakers are moving forward with their flagship tech regulation, the Digital Markets Act. And the man steering it through Parliament is the German lawmaker and the big tech critic Andreas Schwab. He says he wants the regulation to focus on the five biggest tech giants, Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft, all U.S. companies. The Biden White House warned the EU of pursuing anti-American tech policy. Schwab responded to that in an interview with the FT's EU correspondent, Javier Espinoza, who joins me now. Hey, Javier. Hi, Mark. So tell us a little bit about Andreas Schwab himself. What's he like? He is a savvy operator from what I can see from, from the distance. He's someone who understands 
where the political debate is landing zone is. He, he is very agile in speaking with all the stakeholders. So you will see him engaging, for example, with like associations representing apps or like with the big tech companies and equally with his peers in the parliament, with the commission. And I'm highlighting this because in Europe right now, stakeholders are debating these rules. And it's very important for someone in his position to be able to move in through the system. So back to the regulation, um, the Digital Markets Act, how did he respond to the accusation that this regulation is uh, anti-American? He is just pointing out in his view that there are companies that have become too big. And in a way, it, it it's not really about being anti-American, but about identifying companies with a certain size and a certain clout in the market that need to be sort of whose powers need to be curbed. I actually spoke to Schwab recently, and this is what he had to say. It's true that for the moment, it's most of all American companies. We don't know really with TikTok and with Alibaba um, because some of them are not even uh, stock market listed. But we hope for sure that soon we will also have European companies in that uh, size. And then these rules will also apply to them. So there is no um, anti-Americanism at all here uh, in place. And he actually also made the point that in the U.S. that, you know, Congress itself is targeting companies with a valuation of 600 billion euros, meaning that Americans are also targeting American companies. Javier, one of the biggest arguments against tech regulation in general is that it could stifle creativity. What did Schwab say about that? He pushed back quite strongly against this idea. Uh, Schwab, just a little bit more history that you should know about this guy, is that he was also involved during the debate when the EU was regulated, the telecoms industry. So he, you know, the arguments over stifling innovation is something that he has heard before. And in fact, we now know with the benefit of hindsight that the telecom industry didn't suffer from uh, stifling with innovation and the consumers are arguably now better off. But he does acknowledge that there has to be the right balance. For sure, we have to find the right balance here between on the one side saying game over to unfair business practices, uh, saying very bluntly that we have been cheated for too long time by having heard that these are all algorithms, stupid, and we don't understand it as politicians. But on the other side, we have to make sure that we don't overregulate, that we just do something which is useful for the market, which is useful for other companies to be there in the market, to compete with each other at a fair basis. Javier Espinoza is the FT's EU correspondent. Thank you, Javier. Thank you. In the world of tech startups, there was a record number of unicorns last quarter. Unicorn is slang for a startup worth a billion dollars or more. Between April and June of this year, private investors assigned billion-dollar valuations to a record 136 startups. It's according to the data service CB Insights, and that's more than all of 2020. Most of them were in the U.S. There is more capital than ever chasing investments in private tech companies. That's Miles Krupa. He covers venture capital for the FT. A lot of the capital, however, is going to companies with traction already, so companies with product market fit in things like software and fintech. So a lot of the capital is actually going towards funding rounds of greater than $100 million. Miles said one of the reasons there's so much capital out there is that we've been in a very low interest rate environment for years now. Big investors like sovereign wealth funds are not getting yield on government bonds. A lot of them are looking for investments in tech. You saw this through Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia backing the $100 billion vision fund. You're now seeing it with firms like Tiger Global that are doing a lot of deals and raising a lot of money from big investors. Whereas before the startup funding ecosystem was dominated by a few blue chip venture capital firms, it's much, much more diverse these days. As the FT's venture capital correspondent, Miles Krupa.
before we go, a few words from the edge of space. For the next generation of dreamers, if we can do this, just imagine what you can do. Hey! That's Richard Branson, the 70-year-old founder of the Virgin Group. He rode a Virgin Galactic spacecraft into the lower reaches of space yesterday. It came after a 17-year quest marked by delay and disappointment and a billion dollars of his own personal fortune. Branson can now claim victory in the billionaire space race. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos won't make his galactic journey until next week. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. It's Monday. That means David Shapiro. And I'm so pleased to be talking to you today, David, with your wise head when you have a look around at the (laughs) chaos that's happening in South Africa. Mm. I'm sure you've picked up the social media uh, clips. Uh, these, These haven't been invented. This is real. People are looting, burning. You just got to think, maybe starting off with a starting point, is that there are lots of uh, videos on macro uh, being looted and people leaving there with big screen TVs and whatever else, washing machines. I saw one with a fork truck with a whole stack of uh, product that's been taken from Macro, and, of course, it's being burnt at the same time. Mm-hmm. Macro is owned by Walmart. Walmart's the biggest retailer in the world and American. What the devil do you think is going on at Walmart's head office? Yeah, we mean what they're thinking. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it applies to a lot of people who are thinking about investing in South Africa or considering it. And just, just take a step back. Last week we had the, um, the, the news of uh, Imperial. You know, Imperial Logistics. And that was a good sign because it showed that other people are interesting. We've been discussing how many other businesses would be taken over. And, you know, one would step back and say, hold on a sec. Is this the kind of country that we want to send our people into to operate from? Because, you know, businesses like that will always have representatives. So I think that's, that's the worry. And, and I think we were in a situation where we kept saying how cheap our assets were and how attractive they would be to foreigners. But I think these scenes, Alec, you know, we we went through the – well, I went through the 70s. That's when I first joined the stock exchange, and then certainly in the 80s and that. And you can see, you know, those kind of scenes seem to be repeated, not necessarily the same political motives, but just how frightening it is to see crowds on a rampage and how nothing stands in their way and they just take, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about the cause. It's about, okay, yes, you know, we can, we can benefit from this. And it just, it, it, it gets out of control. And, and I'm not sure we've got the, the forces to actually control it and, uh, um, you know, get on top of it. So it's a, these are very worrying sites. Well, when you have you know, over 50% mm-hmm. unemployment, over 70% yeah. amongst your youth, yeah. you have got a tinderbox. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I don't think this is uh, necessarily to do with Zuma at all. I don't think, um, you know, the cause of Zuma himself, but I mean, what it has, has done is it's giving them a, um, a chance to express all their frustrations and anger. And you can, you can understand people who are not employed. If you're if you've matriculated and you can't get a job, it's almost impossible. Of course, you're going to do, um, you know, you're going to uh, become angry. I mean, if you read the start of the communist parties in the 30s, I mean, it all came because of starvation and anger at the system that wasn't allowing them to to get jobs. And uh, this is, from my point of view, you know, hopefully we can get on, you know, we can get in control of this. But, I mean, it, it is painting a pretty bad picture when you see, the, you know, when you see shopping centers burning and people looting. And, um, and it's, it's not just it's one, just day. Horrible. It's all over uh-huh. the place. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my, uh-huh. We have family in Peter Maritzburg. Uh-huh. And the, what's happening there is astonishing that people have gone in, looted shopping centers, mm-hmm. uh, but, but, and then worse than that, set them alight. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if if uh, all of the videos that we're seeing on social media are accurate, but if even half of them are, uh, we saw the president's n- n- newsletter saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be careful about sharing things mm-hmm. in social media. But 
my goodness, this is what's happening in the country. Mm. Uh, and what does one do in a case like this? How do you handle it, David? How do you keep your sanity when it appears as though chaos is reigning? It's very difficult. You're in lockdown. In fact, I was talking to uh, a former colleague or a former partner of mine, Pana Nicolatis, and Pana phoned me and uh, we were chatting and he's gone out to Leipitz play. And funny, he, he picked up on, on social media. You know, the reason that he phoned me was my 50th wedding anniversary and he phoned me. So I know he listens Mazel to tov, Dave. Uh, <laughs> so he listens to podcasts. But he phoned me from Leipitz Play where I think he has a shopping center and he said they're all in lockdown there. What they did, they heard the masses were coming, so they put up the uh, railings, you know, they put up the bars and closed the shops and gone home. And I, my, my story, to, I said, Bonner, I don't care about it, just make sure you're safe. In other words, don't, don't look for trouble because when those masses come, you don't know which side they're going to come. It's like an army marching on you. Just make sure you go home. You know, and that's the kind of fear because no matter who's in the way, they will take you out. And uh, that's, you know, that's the worry because um, there's no reason, you cannot reason with a mob. You know, you can't reason with them if they're, uh, if you're in the way, unfortunately, you will become a victim. Shades of so, Marikana. Mm. If you recall in Marikana, it was mm. very similar. And then at that point in time, the, yeah. the cops started shooting first and asking questions afterwards when, when they had people rushing them. Uh, surely the, the potential for something similar to happen now has to be high. It, it has to be because it depends on how the police handle this. I don't know whether they've got the training and skill to handle these kind of crowds and whether the crowds will disperse or whether they'll disperse first. And, or whether you know, they'll that, shoot first. Or, or they shoot. You know, when, when your life's in danger, I mean, you shoot. And we've been through that in, in um, Alec, I was around at uh, Sharpville. You know, I was a teenager and, uh, you know, I remember – uh, how petrified the the police were. I mean, it was in fact a peaceful demonstration, but even so, and and look at the you know the carnage that was caused as a result of that. So people you know fearing their lives, especially with a firearm in their possession, can be you, know, you don't know what they can so, do, and I think that's that will only you know inflame inflame the masses even more. So from an investor's perspective, yeah. From the investment market's perspective, what are they looking for here? Um, strangely, the markets have actually been stable. The rand has given back a bit. It, it was 14.17 yesterday, today. It's like 14.40, so I think there's a bit of fear there. Um, and, and broadly, banks and other local companies are down. But a lot of our market... Is, is dictated by offshore companies, the miners, you know, who do a lot of business outside. But I think the longer-term consequences can be serious. You know, the, the images, and remember how fast these circulate around the world on every major network, and, you know, they're already making headlines on, on international work networks, and that's the worry. And <laughs> we're in such trouble at the moment. Not only we're we fighting a pandemic, uh, we got no tourists coming here, but you want to create an environment that was changing. And and Ramaphosa was getting there, you know, literally inch by inch. In, in, even by sending Zuma to jail, it was a move uh, in, in forward for him to try and get control. We've we've the one thing that we do have is a lot of good operations that one can invest here. You know, it is an investable country in the right kind of climate. But we just we just keep scoring own goals, you know. We just keep setting ourselves back, and 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 politically there may be reason for that. What's the best case scenario from where we are today? That we get control of this, you know. That 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 Ramaphosa shows his strength and gets on top of this, and that's that's for the ANC government, or in fact, it's for the government, not for the ANC party. It's for the government to get on control and bring it under control and be able to control these people, the masses and not let them, not let it get out of control and start to go into, by other areas, you know, become anti-white or anti-whatever. You know, it, it mustn't spill over into that, uh, into kind of racist type uh, um, outpourings. So that's that's the big fear. Surely the, the real 
lesson from this has to be you cannot continue along economic policies that are growing unemployment. And Absolutely. perhaps the penny is going to drop somewhere in that central a centralist uh, command economy type thinking, which has never worked anywhere else in the world, and we're now reaping the whirlwind. Absolutely, Alec. Forget about political ideology. Just get the economy right. No matter who's running it, I don't care whether the person running it is green, purple, yellow, it doesn't matter. As long as jobs are being created and, and you know businesses are prospering, because then everybody prospers. It doesn't matter. You know, All the political dogma doesn't matter. Donovan Carter is a businessman in Moy River. Uh, Donovan, sitting here in Johannesburg, we see pictures uh, which are quite terrifying uh, from a external perspective. But you're right in the middle of what's going on there. What is happening in Moy River? Hi, Alec. Yes, uh, the town has been under siege basically since Friday night. Um, the police are trying their level best, but being dispersed all over the country, they are thinning out, and uh, we have looters processing themselves through the town, knocking the spa, the tops, any shop that they can where they see that it's empty. They've just 15 minutes ago raided and totally destroyed the Kentucky Fried Chicken directly across the road from me. Why? To be honest with you, um, Alec, I would just say right now it's a criminal element. Obviously, we have political problems in the country at the moment. But I think it's people just taking advantage of this um, chaos. And the criminal element is, is a much larger side than the political side. Because when I look at the crowds that are walking around, it's mostly youth. People that are just breaking, um, for example, traffic signs or just people's advertising, just ripping it down and throwing it down. So I really just think it's boredom and criminality. And what do your staff say about this? Well, our staff obviously have been hit quite hard over the last year with COVID, etc., and they're desperate to work. You know, we've had staff throughout the whole town and the whole province, I suppose the whole country, working short time. And, and just as things were starting to get a little bit better, we went into the next lockdown. So they're devastated because these are people that come to work every day. They, they want to work, you know, just like we do. We want to run businesses. They're just good, honest people wanting to make a living and educate their kids and feed their families. So they are devastated because it's a ripple effect. As it starts with businesses, so it moves down towards the staff and their spending power gets less. So it's just devastating for everybody. Donovan, we know that youth unemployment in the country is high. Uh, also that Moy River, having lived there, uh, the unemployment certainly in those days, 10 years ago, uh, was already looking at 70 to 80 percent, perhaps even higher today. Is is this a reflection of of, uh, of what you're seeing now? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, over the years, as you say, 10 years ago when you left, there was still some industry and there were businesses that were, were sort of flourishing, but they have floundered over the years as more and more people have left and less people are employed. And generally, Moira is really, I would say, is a 90 percent government grant town. People survive on the grant. The town itself that relies on local trade has business on the 15th when the government people get paid for two days. And then again, at the end of the month, when the grants are paid, it's not even payday at the end of the month anymore. It's waiting literally for the government grants between the first and the town's busy for maybe two or three days. And then it disperses. So it's definitely unemployment is a big problem here. We've seen videos on social media about the toll road, the toll booth plaza there at Moy River, which is one of the most active ones in the country, right in the middle of the N3 and, and quite a lot of, it appears anyway, of vehicles that have been burnt. Uh, what are you seeing there? Alec, yes. You know, two, three years ago over the Easter periods uh, for two years in a row, and then again the exact same now from Friday night, it's a an easy target because this toll gate is strategically set. It's It's you can't go left or right. You have to go through the toll gate. It's between town and the opposite um, township called Brundtville. So it's easy access uh, to for, for locals to get to trucks and to loot and to burn. And we just find, as I say, it's it's really the criminal element that gets in and, and makes chaos when there is a small situation. But I think the unemployment and I think the strategic situation of the Moy River Toll Plaza on the N3 um, – is just a problem, really, for the town, where it shouldn't be. It should actually be the lifeblood of the town. Um, because, you know, this, this town is situated on the N3, which is a main highway. We've got the main railway lines running past us. We've got a beautiful river that never stops flowing. And we've got labor for Africa here.
but you know, with the violence and that, and where it's where the toll gate is situated, it just flares up all the time, and it makes people negative to want to come even through the town if they can. I mean, I get phone calls constantly: "Is it safe to travel through Moor River, even in quiet times?" When it's, people have got such a stigma about Moor River and the Moor River toll gate at the moment that no one they would avoid it if they could. If this wasn't the through ferry to Durban from Joburg or vice versa, people wouldn't come here if they didn't have to. How long will it take to rebuild? What has happened in the past two, well, since Friday? Alec, if I look at the past from, from three, four years ago over the Easter periods when we had those two years in a row and um, seeing that the town never recovered from those to start off with, more and more people have left, especially as people's leases are ending. People who are tied into leases are leaving when the leases are ending. They just don't find more of a viable anymore. So I don't see that there will be a quick recovery at all, if any. Um, I don't want to just say that it's Moy River on its own, but, but Moy River being the town that I live in, I can only see it going backwards. We've been here 30 years next year, and um, it's only going backwards. And it's so sad because it's such a beautiful area and such a beautiful situation in the Midlands. Um, on the main through fair, as I said earlier, you know, there's just so much potential here, but it's being destroyed by by apathy, you know, and, and government culture of not doing what it should about certain situations. And the law and order forces, are they just hopelessly insufficient to, to, have, uh, to keep this criminality under control? Well, currently, look, I, um, I think the whole of the, the, the SAP, the SANDF, you know, I don't know if their hands are tied with the laws in our constitution, but definitely a problem that I'm seeing arising now, there's obviously very few of them, and, and with riots jumping all over, they're thin on the ground because they're being moved around. But, you know, for me, when the government... Um, security arms such as police and SANDF and that aren't used to protect citizens and citizens are now beginning to look at defending themselves, that's just a recipe for civil war. And are they? You have, uh, presumably there are security companies operating in Moy River. Have they been able to support or help businesses? Definitely the security guards are really trying. Um, I think obviously it's because they are contracted to and, and they're sort of obligated to by the relationship with the people they protect. But, you know, their hands are also tied to the point that a lot of the, the guards are unarmed because there's just so much red tape that goes with somebody if they did retaliate and use lethal force. Um, it's, it's actually very difficult um, for, for any security company and I think even for the police in that to use lethal force when necessary unless it's the absolute last resort. But, you know, in the meantime, your thugs and your, your unemployed youth that are bored, they know this. So they can break windows as they did earlier in front of us here with the police watching because they know the police are not going to retaliate. So I, I really think everything is inefficient at the moment. And it, it's, it's I don't know whose fault or who to blame, but it can't go on like this forever. This country will end up bleeding and people will leave. With the police watching? The police are watching. They, they literally... Um, you know, I feel for them because I talk to them all the time because I'm very grateful that they're around our area and, and sort of at my petrol station because we are um, at a strategic point, an entry and exit point to Moy River going to Durban and um, Johannesburg and obviously the exit and entrance into Brunville across the road from us. So we, we have a lot of priest presence, especially on the, the bridge, but they do nothing. They basically are there to monitor the situation. I'm, I'm pretty positive that's obviously the instructions they've been given. There hasn't been a single round fired by any police officer at all. The security do more shooting than, than the police do. Not that I want them to shoot, don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying, there's just no way of trying to calm a situation down or try and um, control crowds. They just allow them to do it and they follow them. So whether they start injuring people and then they will retaliate, I'm not sure, but while they damage property, the police won't do anything. And what are the other businessmen in Moy River doing about this? Where presumably you spoke about the spa being attacked and looted. Um, do they just leave and, and bolt themselves up at home and, and let the, the, the mob go through the building? Well, the, the few businessmen I've spoken to, and I've, I've had many calls from both farmers and businessmen obviously being concerned for our safety and that, but guys are resigning themselves. Um, the local spa guy, for example, just mentioned to me that if, he, if this devastation continues, he'd rather pack up. It's not worth his while to reinvest money. Um, other businesses are just saying, well, you know, why well, live in Moy River with this volatility? It's such a small town. The business side of it is getting smaller and smaller each year. The cake is just getting smaller, big, 
just because of there are no customers. And they are saying we're leaving. We've actually seen quite a large contingent of our Muslim community um, pack up and leave and go down towards Durban, Marisburg, because there's just no business. And they just say, you know, if there's no business, they can't live in an unsafe area. What about the district, towns like Rosetta, uh, Nottingham Road, which is well known as a, a destination for retirees uh, at, at Gowrie, maybe um, Belgaon, where Michael's school is. Have you had any feedback from what's going on there? Um, in the past few days, you seem to have escaped any, any um, violence, if I can call it that, because of the, the toll gate being strategic place at Moy River. But in this current situation, uh, they've all come under siege. In fact, today the, the tops and the builders were totally raided. Um, and I understand last night they absolutely um, annihilated Ligeton, which is a smaller area down towards Balgoan where Michael Elson that is. So I think right now it's just anarchy. Um, people are not selective. There's no real purpose. You know, when they normally block the toll gate, it's usually to stop traffic to, in order to, to um, advance the protest, if I can call it that, you know, to advance the, the cause of their protest. Whereas now it's just, well, it seems like the police aren't doing anything, security forces aren't doing anything, there aren't enough people to do anything, so let's just loot what we can. So, yes, the whole Midlands, um, even Howick, uh, was uh, hit on Sunday night. So it's, it's devastating all over at the moment, where normally it is usually just Moy River. You said Nottingham Road. You broke up a little there. Yes. Now, Nottingham Road, um, they had a, a siege this morning where they attacked the spa on the tops and totally wrecked the builder. You say a siege. What is that, Donovan? Well, when I meant a siege, what I meant was a crowd of people came in with the police watching and trying to monitor them, but they just ended up at the at the shops and totally looted them. So when I say siege, you know, the, the people that were working at the the spa and um, the surrounding shops, they felt like they were being attacked. They were under siege. And if the police are watching and these the mob is looting, presumably taking stuff away from the shops whose windows they're breaking, are the police not attempting to stop them? No, it seems to be that the instruction is only if there's um, damage to or harm to a human being, a life, they might um, act. And at this stage, we haven't had any of that because I think the mob know if they don't attack anybody in person, the police won't retaliate. But as I say, not long before your phone call, they actually looted the, the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken opposite me and took all the furniture. I watched them carry all the furniture out here. And all the police can do is watch. Donovan Carter is a businessman in Moy River. Well, it's a warm welcome to Connie Mulder, the head of the Trade Union Solidarities Research Unit. Connie, it's unusual, I guess, uh, for a trade union to be investigating uh, the big story of the moment in, sorry, one of the big stories of the moment in South Africa, which is to do with vaccines. There's so much fake news on, on all sides of the coin. Has Was that the reason... Um, that motivated you to do this very in-depth research report? Um, I think Alex, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's exactly because of the disinformation on, on both sides um, that we, we decided this is, it's, we're in a low-trust environment at the moment with people especially not uh, trusting government and with very good reason. And that means well, we need to go and see for ourselves. Um, at Solidarity, we're, we're a trade union, but we've... we've uh, we have a certain leadership role in our cultural communities, especially, and um, it would be irresponsible to not uh, go and give people the best information that we could find to enable them to make a good and informed decision rather than get lost in the noise. It's a comprehensive report, 27 pages, lots in depth. I see that you focused a part of it on those nations that have been heavily vaccinated to perhaps give you some insight on that. Um, exactly. So we, we decided from the start that we're not going to, to look into media, um, articles, anything. We're just going to look at the, at the raw numbers. And there we, we focused heavily. We, we did almost, I think it's a hundred countries that we modeled, but not everyone's, uh, vaccination program is sufficiently, uh, progressed to actually see results. And then therefore the report does skew heavily towards countries that have already vaccinated a certain percentage of their population. I mean, what we found there, um, quite simply, and this is now regarding Israel, the United Kingdom, United States, as well as Hungary as examples, is that as vaccination rates among adults rise, 
there is a real and sustained decrease in hospitalizations and deaths uh, due to COVID-19, which indicates uh, one of the two questions that we wanted to answer at least is, um, do vaccines work? And the answer from the raw data from what we can see is that, yes, they, they do work quite well in reducing hospitalizations and deaths uh, due to COVID-19. What was the other area that you focused yeah, on? The, yeah. the other question, as always with all medicine, is, um, is the risk worth uh, with the benefit? Meaning uh, all medicines have side effects. Uh, there's no such thing as a medicine that has no side effects. And uh, any medicine that's uh, arguably worse than the illness that it's trying to treat would not be worth the time. So for that, we then focused on two questions. First is, does it work? And secondly, is it safe? On the safe question, we looked at the uh, adverse event reporting system from the United States of America, as well as uh, the side effects monitoring database from Europe. And checked what are the side effects that that have people that people have reported, and what is the frequency of these side effects. And our findings there were that there are side effects, um, but they are exceedingly rare, and actually that the safety profile of these uh, vaccines are very much in line with other vaccines that we've seen thus far. M- many of the side effects are are similar. Um, uh, if you take, for example, uh, allergic reactions is one of the main ones. Now that's something that we know uh, vaccines cause. Um, and a certain percentage of the population that will have an allergic reaction to a vaccine. But we cannot see, because this is, uh, you've got claims of uh, millions of people dying after the vaccine and being seriously affected, and the numbers just don't, just don't play that out. It's, I think it's about 0.2% of people who will show a, a serious adverse reaction to the vaccines. Um, but with, uh, if you're going into very serious side effects, it's still, for, the, for most people, the risks would still outweigh the benefits regarding vaccines. 0.2, so that would be two in a thousand who would have some negative impact uh, from the vaccine. Um, likely, yes. We're, we're, we're estimating it's about 2,000 to 2,500 out of a million people will have a side effect that, that they actually think that they should see their doctor to. Now, if you compare this to the illness with COVID-19, if a million people got symptomatic COVID-19, uh, 140,000 would end in hospital and almost 23,000 would die. So that's why we say for most people, the risks would still outweigh the benefits. This is age standardized. As you're going up in ages, if you're 40 and above, then your chances of um, succumbing or being seriously injured due to COVID-19 uh, start rising dramatically. So what's the bottom line? What are you recommending to your members and by implication, everybody else you can access the report? Yes, so we've got well, three recommendations. Uh, the first is that for South Africa's vaccination program to show any semblance of success, we need to, to realistically get this out of government hands. Um, at the moment, we're, we're a dismal failure in world terms. Um, and uh, government's insistence on being the sole buyer and sole distributor, even now, well, luckily now, in July, we've realized that the virus tends to also work on weekends. So now we're vaccinating on weekends. But we could have had the private sector involved much earlier. This would have fostered much more trust as well as get the vaccination rollout quicker because speed is what's of the essence here. So we need to be saying we need to do that. The second one is that no country with a successful vaccination program made vaccinations mandatory. And that is not the way to go. If you want to get a successful vaccination program, you need to inform people. um, But everyone should still be able to make their own choices. And that's why we're uh, extremely against mandatory vaccination, but actually just against the, the principle that somebody should undergo a mandatory medical procedure. Um, this should be informed consent and people should make their own decisions. And the third one is that um, we think that vaccines work and that they are at least as safe as other vaccines. Um, and that if you choose to be vaccinated, we recommend that you use either Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca. Since we've seen in real world data, and this is, uh, we're talking about millions of people now, that they do reduce the risk of hospitalization and death significantly. So you didn't mention Sputnik or uh, Sinovac, the the Russian Uh, and Chinese vaccines. um, Yes. So we've, with Sputnik, the the main problem is that the, how to explain it, there isn't really enough real world data on the same level as Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or those to conclusively show that it, that it works extremely well. With Sinovac, uh, we've got serious doubts as to the effectiveness. What we can see is that it's, it's not nearly as effective as the other ones on the market. But if we looked at countries like Uruguay, Colombia, Chile, which do, uh, do have high vaccination rates with Sinovac, but we cannot see a significant reduction in deaths in most of those countries due to COVID-19 as well as in, in positive case rate. And that leads us to conclude 
uh, from the data at least, that Sputnik is not as effective. Uh, sorry, that Sinovac is not as effective as the Pfizer and Moderna, uh, Johnson Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccinations. And that's that's something that we, we're trying to uh, get done as well as that. If you want to vaccinate in South Africa, that you will have a choice of which vaccine you take. So you don't, you're not stuck with uh, Sinovac or with the Cuban one, which you might uh, distrust in some way. You mentioned earlier on that there's a low trust environment in South Africa. What do you mean by that? Well, um, uh, like, quite, quite frankly, I think people have a massive mistrust of any official communication regarding COVID-19, and I think it's justified. Um, thus far during this pandemic, we've had a government that has willfully misled citizens. Um, we have now, we're now in a situation where there's a fear that grips everyone Sunday night because you don't know if you have a job on Monday. Um, something might happen with immediate effect. Our health minister is currently under a corruption cloud. Um, there's this commission being set up most likely to to explore, explore how much funds uh, were, were stolen during COVID by the government. So that means anything that government promotes is uh, justifiably mistrusted. And then when the government tells you oh, we're going to vaccinate, um, that's something that people start off with a default position, which I think is correct to say, but we don't trust you. And now what has unfortunately happened is that the lines have blurred here, that mistrust in the government has created a situation where mistrust in the vaccination can foster as well. And that's why we said um, to to combat this is you start with raw data, you start from a clean slate and just look at does it work and is it safe? Um, ignore all the noise around you. Uh, so hopefully we can get good information to people because uh, people do not trust government's information at the moment and and I can understand why, but get, get them good information so that they can make the best possible choice uh, for themselves regarding uh, their health situation and their risk management of COVID-19. So if I understand you correctly, even if the government was telling you the truth, people aren't going to believe it at the moment because of this low level of trust. Um, yes, no, 100% correct. Uh, at the moment, I think it might actually hurt in certain communities if President Ramaphosa tells them to vaccinate, uh, quite simply because of uh, massive levels of mistrust um, in, in the government. In, in our cultural community, for example, we, we can clearly see that uh, a government that has insisted on uh, allocating help or aid based on race is something that people inherently mistrust when they say we're going to come and help you, uh, and with good reason as well. So that means uh, the only way that we see a successful vaccination program and hopefully a successful end to the pandemic without uh, thousands more dying is if government stops trying to do this alone and allows uh, leaders from the private sector as well as uh, the NGOs and community sector to start getting involved and start taking the lead here. Uh, government has quite simply eroded the trust that, that was placed in them in March last year. Um, they've, they've spilled their milk here and now it's time if we want to get out of this for the rest of South Africa to start uh, leading and uh, explaining to people that certain things work, certain things don't. Banning warm chicken in Woolworths is not the best way to stop the pandemic, but we think vaccinating might be. Connie, you mentioned your cultural community. We're talking here about the Afrikaners. How are Afrikaners uh, feeling about life generally in this country? Uh, I, I mentioned this because it's almost like the – uh, the feedback we are getting from all communities is there's a hot force factor, which is saying we need to build a parallel to the state, not a parallel state, but our own schools, our own security, our, our own way that we, we promote business with BEE, etc. But you're very close to this. How is the Afrikaner community reacting? Um, Alec, so the Afrikaner community might be, I think, about 10 years ahead of the rest of South Africa, simply because uh, as a community, um, we've borne the brunt of most of these government uh, policies, meaning um, Afrikaans public schools have been systematically eradicated, Afrikaans universities, and that means the Khatfulayotas <laughs> is here. Um, people have finally, from, from what we can see, there was a definitive break with uh, trust in government during the COVID pandemic. With It was sort of a last hope that maybe maybe they won't be as useless in this case as they are with providing power or anything in those regards. And government has once again not disappointed and showed us that um, the one thing you can bargain on is incompetence and corruption from the ANC. And that means, we're, luckily, it's past denial, it's at anger, but what we're seeing is the green shoots of of a real sustainable solution. Um, we've got extremely good contacts with other traditional communities and cultural communities, and we're starting to see a uh, South Africa that becomes a community of communities where 
people start building their own schools exactly uh, and taking ownership of uh, educating their children of their safety as well as uh, their own lives and their economic situation. Hopefully with uh, the announcements to load shedding uh, regarding private power generation, people can even take ownership of uh, energy for your community. And if you can get that direction, this is a much more sustainable and natural movement that we're seeing happening uh, in South Africa. Afrikaners are part of that. Um, and we're trying to to make sure, uh, you'll, you'll see our, our slogan now is um, in Afrikaans, Omsel Self, or uh, we'll do it ourselves. But the important part is we'll do it ourselves, but not alone. And we know that we need to we need to take hands with other communities here and ensure that we uh, sort of get ourselves as state resistant or government resistant as possible to ensure a, a prosperous future for our community, but uh, also other communities. This currency focus is proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. Andre Salier is with Treasury One. Yo, what a day we've had in South Africa. Andre, you're a specialist on currencies, uh, and particularly when one has a look at the South African rand. Has there been much of an impact uh, from what's emerging all over social media and now on the, on the international channels as well? Yes, certainly. If we just look at the reaction this morning, we opened this morning around the uh, 25 levels very early in the morning, and we're now sitting around the 14 and a half levels. Um, then that simply, and on the dollar, there's not been that much movement. So this is purely South African market driven, driven locally is where the weakening comes from. So, and what is the happening? It can only be ascribed to looting, criminal activity, uh, all in the name of defending somebody's honor uh, and the fact that he was sent to jail. So what is the downside in all of this? What, in other words, if this were to continue, we have, uh, we have reports now from uh, the government that the defense force is being deployed particularly in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng, where the looting and violence is continuing. Uh, if this were to continue or to indeed expand, how would that be viewed by those people who invest in currencies or trade currencies? First of all, investor confidence in the country will be severely negatively impacted. Uh, everybody that was considering putting money into this country would think twice. Uh, hot money that lies in the country, and I always call it hot money, lying in the bond market. Uh, those people would reconsider their position uh, because if you go into a period of weakening of the currency, then uh, it's better for them to get out of their bonds, take their dollars and run as soon as possible. Uh, so even on that end, on that side, we could see uh, a movement of funds and that could have a negative impact on yields in the bond market uh, but more over than this is the negative impact on the economy uh, if you look at uh, the routes that's being blocked roads being blocked you see how many trucks have been burned that's millions uh, and, and very soon can be running into billions of rands they stoppages so you know it's not just the damage uh, to property and the damage to uh, uh, the roads and infrastructure, it's the damage uh, that it does to the imports and exports because stuff cannot get to the harbour. Uh, it cannot get from the harbour back into so shortages. It's, it's, a, it's a major effect that will spill over into various areas and importers and exporters and companies and businesses will do worse. Um, and that will impact, as I say, on the currency. And if that impacts on the currency, uh, because of the currency weakening, then your imports becomes more expensive, fuel becomes more expensive, uh, negative impact on interest rates, ne negative impact on inflation rates, uh, closer to interest rate increases. Uh, I can carry on. Mm. Just a disastrous effect. I guess the, the fact is, Certainly all the feedback that we've had from people who are in the front line of this, it's got nothing to do with Jacob Zuma. Nobody is chanting his name. It's all about criminality. The, the feedback we're getting is that this is, this is frustration from unemployment, and it's a, a lovely excuse to be used. From 
international communities having a look at South Africa, they have got to be asking themselves, is this going to be more of the same? Is this going to continue? Is this going to expand? Or will the South African government be able to get it under control? If you look at those two scenarios, what kind of impact might that have on the South African RAND? It will have a positive impact if the government can get it under control very, very quickly. But by using the defense force, uh, in, in my opinion, if you're going to start using the defense force, that you have to declare a state of emergency in certain areas, which is a, a very negative one. Uh, and I don't think it can be brought under control in a very, very short period of time. I don't think it's a day or two. I think this is going to last a little bit longer. And it will have a negative impact on the uh, currency, uh, and I foresee that we will change our trading ranges, uh, most probably get close to breaching the 14.50 level and the 14.50 level, and if that happens, you know, 14.7, 14.75 is very, very easily on the cards, and as I said a little earlier, with negative impacts on, for instance, the fuel price, which at this point in time uh, runs in quite a negative figure in terms of what should be collected at the pump uh, to cover oil price and exchange rates. So if we have a further deterioration of the exchange rate, that will be further negative on the fuel price, negative negative impacts on the inflation rate, Uh, but certainly negative on the exchange rate. Now, Treasury One uh, advises many big clients, many big corporations in South Africa. What are you recommending to them today? I'm sure your phone has been ringing off the hook from uh, companies or or clients seeking advice in this chaotic time. Well, in terms of our exporters, uh, you know, when Iran was down at the 1360 levels and the 1370 levels, uh, we've advised most of them not to jump into the market and take massive amounts of forward cover. So with where the Iran currently trades, uh, it presents them with far better opportunities than they've had uh, in the last month and a half or two uh, to take some forward cover. And we certainly recommend that, you know, even amidst this turmoil, uh, that one should not go these opportunities that comes your way uh, by locking in some of the much better rates that you can get now. Uh, and if you do it uh, for two and three and four months forward, uh, then you even get the forward points uh, your favor in terms of the interest rate differentials between ourselves in America. Uh, in terms of our importers, we have advised them uh, below the 14 levels, you know, to take some forward cover. And if they did, then they would have been protected through this uh, very quick and bad period. Uh, But even with everything going on and the fact that I said it could last a little bit longer than we expected, I would also recommend that our importers, uh, if they have not taken cover, that they do look at some forward levels uh, at these levels and take some forward cover uh, to protect themselves for any further adverse movement. Uh, All over, we're in a very turbulent time, um, and there is products that you can take to edge yourself against these negative movements. So taking insurance against anything that could happen? It's it's taking the forward cover, uh, using uh, one of the products that's available to yourself. There's many, many more advanced products that you can take. Uh, is like taking out insurance. Um, and if you take the insurance, uh, you know, then you are protected against the adverse movements. Andre, thanks for the update. Let's hope that I'll keep said, asking this every week and saying, I'm uh, hoping the next week we've got some good news to give. Is there any green shoots, any bright uh, light on a horizon? I think there is, yes. Um, I think if we look at Mr. Ramaphosa's speech last night and we listened to that, it was very good that he did address uh, what is going on in the country. If I look at the COVID figures, then I think we are getting closer and, and might actually have turned on the peak uh, in Gauteng already um, and there is, we have seen over the last couple of months that there is some green shoots on the economy uh, so if all works out uh, according to plan then I think there is still some positives that we can look forward to at this point in time. This currency focus was proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. That was the Biz News.
Power Hour. Thanks for being with us from our team till the next time, which means tomorrow at the 13th of July, Tuesday. We will be in your company back then. Please join us. Same time, same place. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.